Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 23. As we return to our series in the book of Exodus, Free at Last, we're going to read verses 10 through 19 of Exodus 23 this morning. Listen to the word of the Lord. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave, the beast of the field may eat. You should do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman, the alien, may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And then this very interesting word, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What does that mean? Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we give you praise and glory and honor and thanks for your words. We pray this morning that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that we might understand and receive your word, lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would be with us and use your word to do that work in us, to conform us into the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. In speaking about uh, the two Sabbath rules in the first part of these verses I just read to you, Douglas Stewart says this in his commentary. He says, both of them emphasize that the Sabbath, whether of years or days, was intended by God to provide restoration and well-being for God's people not merely a cessation or a stopping of all activity. Of course, the Lord, the Lord knows, our God knows, that we need actual physical rest for our bodies, that we need sleep, that we need time for our bodies to recover from our daily labors. He also knows that His creation needs rest, that the land needs time to recover from use, and that animals need the same. After all, God created us, and He created the land, and He created the animals. He knows our physical weakness, that we are dust, and that since Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, we are subject not only to spiritual decay, but to physical decay as well. So, a word of encouragement to you, people of God, get some sleep. Get rest. 
because you need it. Take a break from your weekly labors and actually Sabbath. And while we don't live in an agrarian society as Israel did during this period of our history, we should still promote as believers a care for the earth that allows it not only to rest from our use of it, but allows it to rest from our abuse of it by discouraging practices that destroy it through greed. But God's rest, as Stuart rightly notes, is more than just the stopping of our activities. It is about more than just sleeping and physically resting, more than just the cessation of activity, whether for us or for the creation. God's rest is about refreshment. God's rest is about restoration. The Sabbath, therefore, is not just about what we stop doing, it's about a different kind of doing, doing that enables us to be restored to one another, the creation, and ultimately to our God. In Sabbath, we turn ourselves away from the doing of our work to the doing of what God says refreshes and restores. In addition to the Sabbath years and days, this idea of rest is captured even in the three festivals mentioned here that Israel was to celebrate every year in the presence of God. Each of these festivals took place after a period of agricultural work, after, after a period of, of harvesting work. With God as the focus, these festivals would be periods of rest and restoration before God. Now, you may be thinking, that's, that's great. <laughs> Refreshment, restoration, rest, that's, that's good. What's, what's the problem? the problem. The problem is us. Because if we are honest, in our flesh, we don't want God's version of rest. If If you're a Christian, you want it because the Spirit of God is in you. But in our sin nature, which will remain with us until we die, we don't really want God's version of rest. We want our own. We want our We want our own version of rest. And of course, the reason we don't want God's version is because, as we will see in the text, God's version doesn't just focus exclusively or even primarily on on us. It involves rest for others, and it involves rest with our God. Don't mishear me. It, It involves your receiving rest individually but it doesn't center our personal rest exclusively. God's rest calls us to care for the whole creation, pushing us away from our selfishness, pushing us away from our, from our greed. God's rest calls us to, to ultimate obedience to Him and His words alone, calling us away from any and every form of idolatry. And God's rest calls us to worship Him alone as the source of every good gift we receive in this life and in the life to come. Our problem is that in our sin, we want and settle for a rest that is far less glorious, far less refreshing, and far less restorative. But God in His relationship with us, a relationship we ultimately have with Him through Christ, has come to free us from our sinful settling and to draw us 
into his rest. Amen, people of God. So what are the elements of this rest that we see in these verses? Well, we see in the rest that God has come to bring his people a concern for the well-being of others, a concern for the well-being of others. God's rest involves, includes a concern for the well-being of others. Every seventh year, the people of Israel were commanded by the Lord to cease from sowing crops in the land. But notice God's purpose uh, in the command. While there would certainly be a benefit to the owner of the land, mainly the increased productivity of the land due to letting it rest and replenish its nutrients, God's purpose in the Sabbath year rest is actually to bless others, to refresh and to restore others. And in the case of the Sabbath year, the others are those most vulnerable to being overused, neglected, or exploited. The land itself is almost personified here in the command to let it rest in the Sabbath year and lie fallow. The people of God were not to exploit the land for by, by overuse. They were not they, they were not to they were not they were not to use it in such a way where they were simply trying to get as much out of it as they possibly could. It wasn't about just about productivity, it was about stewardship of God's world. They were to let it, let it rest, replenish, restore itself, refresh itself. They were to care for it. They were to care for it. They were to let it catch its breath, which is one way of conveying the sense of the Hebrew here for the term rest. And this command would call God's people to trust Him to provide for them in the six years when they sold the land to care for their needs, leaving what was left and what grew of itself in the seventh year for another vulnerable group of people, the poor. Though God would give each tribe its own portion of the promised land, He knew that hardships, the hardships that come through famine and theft and mismanagement and debt and death and the like would cause people to fall into poverty. And God, being a God of compassion toward the poor, a truth that is proclaimed throughout the Scriptures, by the way, commands His people to show the same compassion, freely allowing the poor access to their fields so that they might feed themselves and their families in the seventh year. Indeed, the fields, in fact, do not belong to them. They belong ultimately to the Lord. Because they are stewards only, God commands what they are to do with what belongs to Him. And He commands that the rest and replenishment that the land enjoys in the seventh year is to be shared with the poor of the, of the earth. The poor are to refresh themselves through free access to the food that the land produces in the seventh year. And this free access has another vulnerable group of people in mind, the beasts of the field who being limited in seasons of sowing and harvesting due to farmers protecting their crops from the wild beasts are now invited to eat freely what the land produces without fear so that they too might share in the joy of having enough for their own well-being. What is purposed by God in the Sabbath year has an even more regular pattern in the Sabbath day. For every week, the people are to practice giving rest not just to themselves and their own, but to others. So, what do we read in the Sabbath day? Notice 
notice what God says uh, here in verse 12. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Again, notice the other-focused nature of the rest. It's not just so that you may rest, but so that your children may rest, so that your animals may rest, so that your workers may rest, so that the non-residents in your land might rest and be refreshed. The purpose of the Sabbath is to enter into those activities that provide relaxation and refreshment, namely the worship of the Lord, fellowship with His people, and the doing of mercy that frees others into the participation in God's blessing on that day. In other words, the Sabbath isn't about what you would like to do, but rather about what God says is actual rest, is actual restoration and refreshment for you, but also for others. What I most hope you see here is that God's intent in the Sabbath year and His intent in the Sabbath day was not only to give His people personal rest, but to encourage them to be a people who give rest to others. It was to encourage them to be zealous, to provide others the refreshment and restoration that God desires for His whole creation, a rest that has been secured for us now in and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a rest demonstrated in His own act of worship, His own acts of worship, His feasting and healing on the Sabbath, a rest culminated in His sacrifice of His own life to pay the price for our sins, that we might be freed into the rest of God, that we might be freed into the restoration of God, that we might be freed into the blessing of God. Amen, people of God. So the call here is to be concerned about others entering into God's rest, especially those most at risk of being overworked and exploited and neglected. It includes a concern for how we treat the whole of God's creation as well, resisting the greed that causes us to treat the earth as if its only purpose is to produce for us rather than recognizing our call to steward it and to care for it to the glory of God. Amen, people of God. In order to help the vulnerable and the whole of God's creation, we must commit ourselves to doing things that prepare for that rest. It means not just what we do for the poor on the Sabbath, but what we do leading up to it that enables them to enjoy it with us. For our fellow poor and vulnerable Christian brothers, it means walking with them during the week and during the year to relieve them of the struggles that often result from poverty. It means using our resources to relieve debt where we can, to provide basic necessities where we can, and whatever other help that lack of resources makes a necessity. It also means caring for their spiritual and mental and emotional needs, those that often result from long seasons of struggle with poverty, anxiety, and doubt, and fear, and depression, and feelings of abandonment by God, and anger, and the like. If we want the poor among us to enjoy the rest of God's Sabbath day in particular, and the Sabbath rest in general, then we must come alongside them and help them to enter into it by what we do for them 
not just on the day, but on the days leading up to the day. Amen, people of God. The call is also here to care for God's world in general. While we're not bound to a Sabbath year as God's people were under the old covenant, we are bound as stewards of his creation to care for the world that he has given to us. This means in part, as I said earlier, resisting the greed that leads us to participate in all kinds of practices that do more harm than good to the world that God has given to us. This starts with the change in our mindset, a change in our mindset from one of ownership to stewardship. It doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. Your call then is to steward it in the way that God says, steward it. To care for it, to, 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 to make sure that it has what it needs, to make sure that you don't overuse it and damage it and destroy it. through your greed. And so it starts with a change of uh, 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 mindset. The earth is the Lord's. Y'all said that lightly. Let's do it again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to Him. It's His creation. And if that's true, then I don't get to do with it whatever I want to. Amen, people of God. Rather, I'm asked to take care of it. So I would ask, what if if that were our individual and and our corporate starting point? What if we started with the mindset that if we don't own it, we're stewarded? What if if handing it to the next generation in good shape was the concern of this generation? Amen, people of God. You're a steward, you're not an owner. And so how you treat God's world individually and how we treat God's world corporately matters. So God's rest involves a concern for others, a concern for giving rest to others. God's rest also involves obedience to the voice of the Lord. Listen again to verse 13. Pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. God knew his people then, and he knows his people now. From the moment Adam and Eve disobeyed the voice of God in the garden, we have as a human community set aside the words of God for the words of others, sacrificing the rest that God has for us for a distorted and self-centered version of it. Indeed, our spiritual unrest, our physical unrest, as well as the unrest we see in the world around us, all results from our refusal to listen to the voice of the Lord. This is the indictment of the unbelieving world and its unbelief, but it's also an indictment at times of the believing world. Because our sin nature will remain with us until the return of Christ, we Christians also struggle at times to follow the words of the Lord over our own words or the words of the idols we create to parrot back to us our own words. Though not stated directly in this verse, the context would suggest that not even mentioning the name of other gods is because those gods cannot offer the rest that God is actually holding out for His people, that He's 
holding out for them and that is symbolized in both the Sabbath observances and these festivals. And they cannot offer the true rest reflected there because they are not gods at all, but rather our own creation. Thus, this command to obey the voice of the Lord in everything was a reminder to His people of whose words really matter, whose words we ought actually to obey. If we, if we want true rest, if we, if we want true rest, we will not get it from our idols. Our idols will only wear us out, promising to give us what can only be received from the Lord Himself. And God knew the words uh, the nations around Israel were listening to, and the words that, they, the words that told them that that they and their people were the center of the world, the words that told them that they could therefore exploit others for their own good, the words that told them to feed their own lust, the words that told them to feed their greed, the words that told them to disregard the poor and needy, the words that told them to, to, to disregard the true Lord over all the world. This is what idols do. They draw you away from the rest that God actually has for you. God knew knew those words of the nations and their gods who were no gods at all. And so he warns his people not to listen to those words, but rather to be careful to do everything that I'm commanding you, because what I'm commanding you will give you rest. What I'm commanding you will bring refreshment for you and for those around you. Listen to what I am saying. Do what I tell you to do. And what does our Lord tell us under the new covenant? If you love me, you will Keep my commandments. If you love me, you will do what I say. If you love me, you will obey me. And in obeying me, you will find rest for your souls. What did I just read this morning from Matthew 11? Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. Do what I say and you will, you will find rest. The real test of our faith is not how much theology we know, but whether or not uh, we will, but, but, but rather or not we will do what the Lord says, whether we will yield to the Spirit of God which He has sent to dwell within us, to lead us into His ways. Therein is our rest in doing what God says. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Is that what you want? Then do what He says. Amen, people of God. Whose voice do you ultimately obey is the question. The call here is to do what our Lord says, to remember that our rest is grounded in obedience to Him. While, while our false gods may promise us rest, they, they can't deliver on it largely because they do not exist, but, but are only the creation of our own hands. Therefore, listening to our own words only leads toward those practices that steal rest from us rather than providing it. And so I would encourage every individual believer in this room this morning to study God's Word, to teach it to your children and your children's children. I would encourage you not to wait until Sunday morning to pick up 
your Bible and let God speak to you. God has revealed himself and continues to speak through the written word of who he is, of what he's come to do, of what his purpose is for you in his son. Don't let your ultimate source of truth be your favorite political pundit, or news channel, or author. If our functional gods are found in these things, we will certainly find ourselves straying from our call in relationship to our God and others in this world. And before you rush to say that that's not you, that you don't look to those things functionally as your ultimate source of truth, ask yourself, how do I treat those who don't look to the same sources that I do? Do I despise my brothers and sisters who don't look to those same sources? Am I ready to break fellowship with them for that reason? Who is it then that gives shape to how you view fellow Christians, to how you treat your neighbor, to how you treat your opponents, to how you treat God's world? Who, who actually gives shape to how you live your life in this world? For us as Christians, may the voice of the Lord be that which guides all our faith and practice in this world. We can listen to others so long as what we are led into is in keeping with God's truth and not with the sinful desires of our own hearts. Amen, people of God. So God's rest involves a concern for giving rest to others. It involves obedience to the voice of the Lord alone as our ultimate source of faith and practice. But it also involves drawing regularly before our God in worship. Like the Sabbath year and day, these three festivals symbolize the rest that God desired for its people. But these festivals weren't just opportunities to feast and celebrate in general. Rather, they were times set apart in the year for what we might call face-to-face time with the Lord. When the people settled in the land, God would cause His presence to settle in a unique way at an appointed place in the land, namely the temple in Jerusalem. And while God is imminent and, and, and with His people everywhere, He would, as He had on Mount Sinai, make Himself present in a particular place to meet with His people. These festivals would be seasons of national worship where families represented by their male heads would gather to celebrate before God some aspect of God's gracious provision. They would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, reminding themselves each year of God's gracious provision of deliverance from oppression in Egypt. They would celebrate the Feast of Harvest, celebrating the first fruits of their labor, the first crops produced by the land. And they would celebrate the Feast of Ingathering, the last of the produce from the land during the agricultural year. And in each festival, they were called to celebrate the Lord as the source of all their provision, the Lord as the source of all their good. They were to draw corporately together before Him in worship and give praise to Him as the true and living God who was the source of their everything. And they were, to, they were not to come to any of the festivals empty-handed, but were to bring the appropriate offering to the Lord in celebration and, re- and remembrance for what He had done. They were not to bring God anything, but rather they were to bring to Him their best. And so God says in verse 
19, the best of your first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And they were not to mix the worship of the Lord with the worship of the gods of the land. This is how Douglas Stewart understood the provision in verse 19 about uh, cooking a goat in its uh, mother's milk. He, he writes this, he says, the prohibition, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk, occurs three times in the Pentateuchal law. Canaanite fertility religion imitated the fertility practices generally found throughout the ancient world. These included marrying seeds when planting a field on the theory that such a ritual would magically stimulate the powers of nature to procreate, producing more fertile crops. And since mother's milk, the milk of the goat doe, was what made the goat kids grow big and strong, the folk theory developed that doe's milk employed in the process of a sacrifice, in this case by boiling rather than roasting on an altar, would somehow impart strength to the goat flock, making the whole flock more fertile. They were not to mix the worship of the false gods of the land with the worship of their God. The festivals were to be national face-to-face times of worship with the Lord, a privilege that we now have every single week when we gather together for corporate worship. For when we come together, here is what the Word says, our God is in our midst through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen, people of God, through the blood of Jesus shed for us and the power of the Spirit who now lives in us. And so the call here is to gather before the Lord corporately for worship. It is to spend time together each Sabbath with the Lord, reminding ourselves of His truth, singing His praises together, celebrating His sacraments. It's also a time of fellowship, a time for reminding ourselves that we are His sons and daughters, that we are His family in His Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so I want to encourage you this morning not to miss worship if you can help it. Don't forsake the opportunity to gather with God's people to worship Him. As the writer of Hebrews says, not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we are not careful, we can slip into patterns that are not good for us and not good for the body as a whole. The body needs you, and you need the body. And so don't let unresolved conflict cynicism about the church, doubts about your faith keep you away. God is here to meet you in the assembling of yourself together with His people, to heal you, to give you joy, to encourage your faith, to speak His promises afresh and anew to you, and He is ready to use you to bring those blessings into the lives of others. If you've been wounded, if you're struggling with cynicism or doubt, speak with your elders or with mature believers in the body who can encourage and strengthen you. Don't miss what God wants to speak to you in corporate worship with His people. Don't let Satan steal your blessings by keeping you away. And for those of you who come every Sunday, but who come out of routine rather than expecting God to meet you. Let me encourage you today that God is present 
in this assembly with his people. Amen, people of God. He sees you every Sunday, and his desire is to commune with you. When you come into this place, don't come Don't come empty-handed. Come expectantly. Come believing that your God has a word for you. That word for you may be a word to you for the benefit of others. God having a word for you doesn't always mean it addresses something you're dealing with, but it may address something somebody else is dealing with that he wants you to speak to them. Amen. Don't come empty-handed. Bring your heart through the door. Bring your mind through the door and bring your body through the door, ready to give the Lord the praise and worship he so rightly deserves. Amen, people of God. So it's okay to worship God by lifting up your hands. It's okay to worship God by putting your hands together. It's okay to worship God by crying out in praise to Him. It's okay to worship God quietly in your heart because He's here. Every time we gather together, He's here to meet us, to bless us, to encourage us. Because when, he, when you walk out of this place, He wants you to know His rest is yours. His refreshment is yours. His blessing is yours. His promises are yours. His comfort is yours. His peace is yours. His provision is yours. His delight is yours. His love is yours. His grace is yours. His favor is yours yours. His protection is yours. His blessings are yours. God wants us to enter into His rest, and we enter into that rest as we work to give rest to others. We enter into that rest as we listen to the voice of our Lord and do what He tells us to do. And we enter into that rest as we draw near to Him regularly as He has called us to in worship and in praise. And here's the promise of God to all those who have faith in His Son. Not only will you have rest in this day, there's a rest coming from the brokenness of your sin fully and from the brokenness of this world. There is a rest coming that we participate in every Sunday and look forward to. Amen, people of God. So let's rest in what God has given us in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let me pray for us. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor and thanks that you are the God who has promised us rest, who has given us a pattern each week of entering into your rest, Lord, by taking the Sabbath, and in that Sabbath, Lord, setting you apart by drawing near to you in worship, that you have set this day apart, Lord, that we might gather together in worship, 
and fellowship with, e- with one another, and that our bonds of love and unity might be strengthened as we come together and worship you. And you have called us in this rest, Lord, to give rest to others, to act with mercy and justice on behalf of the vulnerable of this world, that they too might enter into the rest that you have, that you have given in and through your son. And we do want our neighbors, those we come into contact with, to know that rest. We want the poor in our neighborhood to know that rest. We want them to know what it is to to know true rest, and they will only know that, Lord, as they come to know you. And so we do pray. Make us a strong witness in this neighborhood. Make us a strong witness in this community that people might come to know you as Savior and Lord, Lord, and that they might indeed enter into the rest that you have for all those who have faith in your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. So bless us as a congregation. Bless us to be a people who give rest to others. Bless us to be a people who do what our Lord says, who keep his commandments because we love you. And help us to be a people, Lord, who draw regularly near to you in worship and praise, that the nations might know that there is a God and that you are God, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has placed your spirit on the inside of every one of us. We give you praise, glory, honor, and thanks, and ask that you would do this in Jesus' name.